Welcome to Faith Kit, a weekly conversation with Rev. Dr. Glenn Miles and noted guests, dialoguing their life of faith in today's culture. Let's join Dr. Miles and today's guest. Hi, this is Glenn Miles. I'm the senior minister at First Community Church in Columbus, Ohio, and you are listening to Faith Kit. Our guest today is the Reverend Adam Hamilton, senior pastor of the Church of the Resurrection in in Kansas City, in the Kansas City area, I should say, since you have multiple locations. Uh, Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Glenn. It's great to be with you today. It's always good to hang out with you. <laughs> oh, good. The 20 bucks is in the mail. Uh, <laughs> and so tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you grew up, uh, your marriage, your family, uh, and your church, too. Tell us all about your church. Just give us sure. take some time and tell us about who you are. Well, I'll give you a few minutes summary. I, I grew up in Kansas City. I was born in 1964. I, got, I have my 58th birthday coming up next week, actually in a couple of weeks. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated our 40th anniversary. And um, we got married the week after high school graduation. So kind of a nutty thing to do, but I know yes. you're, you, you have some, uh, you got married pretty young as well. Similar. Yep. Yep. And uh, both of us had some similar backgrounds too. I, uh, I actually was baptized Catholic as an infant. I was um, my family. My mom was more fundamentalist Christian church of Christ. The folks, you know, who know music in the, in the services because of, so, you know, another branch of the, of your uh, Christian church. That indeed. And uh, yeah, exactly. And so um, my mom came from that background, my dad from a Catholic background, and because they couldn't agree about religion. Mom was not going to be Catholic. Dad was not going to become Church of Christ. We ended up not going to church as I was growing up, but my grandmother had a huge, huge influence on my life. And uh, she was a very faithful Catholic woman and helped me to learn to pray the rosary and the Lord's prayer when I was little and gave me my first Bible. And, and uh, so anyway, we ended up starting to go to church to a Methodist church when I was little, my parents, I was like in third or fourth grade, my parents were having marital conflict and trying to find a place to go to church that was halfway between Catholic and, and church of Christ. And then ended up at a Methodist church, I dropped out again after my parents divorced and then finally came to faith in a little Pentecostal church. And uh, went to, uh, felt a call to ministry at 16, went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma to be a Pentecostal pastor and quickly found out I really wasn't cut out to be a fundamentalist. I was more, you know, I had a lot of questions and I, I wanted answers. And, and uh, so anyway, and I didn't think the Bible should be read literally all the time. And, and there were just a number of other things. There's, and there's a lot of great Pentecostals who also believe that way as well. But um, ended up joining the Methodist Church in college and went to seminary at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. And uh, graduated two years later, I uh, started a, a new United Methodist Church uh, for the south part of the Kansas City area. That was uh, 32 years ago, June of 1990. And uh, it's been a blast ever since. I've got two kids. Um, one of them is 35. The other one is 31. One's married. And I have an eight-year-old granddaughter. And the other one might get married the next year. I'm kind of hoping she might. She's got a serious relationship. And and I'm at the Lake of the Ozarks right now where I've been. Uh, I come down here to write and outline sermons. And so... Uh, you're catching me at the 55 mile marker uh, near Climax Springs at the at uh, the Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, Julie and I have been there. It's a great place, a great spot, and and uh, we I think we've taken our life in our hands a couple of times riding around with you on the boat out on the lake. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> in fact, when I say that, it's because you let me drive a couple of times or, or steer or whatever it is you do. With you, the boat. You, you drive with some too. You bet. <laughs> it was frightening for me. Uh, yeah. And by the way, you know, I think I've read most of your books and one of my favorites, it's easily in the top three is the one you wrote for your granddaughter on, oh, on, yeah. on the Lord's Prayer. I, yeah, I think it's really a yeah. beautiful little book. Very, well, thank you. Yeah. I, you know, we had started and I know we'll talk a little bit about prayer in, in a minute, but we had uh, started teaching our our granddaughter the Lord's Prayer when she was five. Hmm. And of course, she'd hear it in church, but I wanted her to have it memorized. 
And so whenever she spends a night about once a week and every night before she'd go to bed, we would say this out loud. And so we would repeat a phrase until she had it memorized. And then we'd start talking about what it meant the next year. And, and uh, then I asked her if we could write a little book together called Stella Learns the Lord's Prayer. And it's just a tiny little children's book, but it was designed for grandparents and parents to be able to share it with their children or grandchildren. And especially because so many, so many of us, your age, my age, our kids may not go to church, uh, but our, but, you know, so they're open to us sharing the faith with our, with their children. So I found it's a great way for grandparents to be able to share the Lord's prayer and help children understand at a very early age, what that prayer means. Well, I shared it with our uh, director of children's ministries here at, at first community. And, and she was impressed with it as well. And it may be popping up around here um, uh, pretty soon in the, in the fall. So thank you. That's for that awesome. Word. Uh, so, Adam, we want to hear a little bit about your your current role at Church of the Resurrection. You founded the church in 1990, I think you said, at a in a funeral home, and obviously uh, with a couple hundred folks in a funeral home to where you are now with 25,000, 30,000 members uh, uh, in an extremely large church with five sites. Am I remembering that right, too? Five That's sites. Right, five sites. Yep. Obviously, your role evolves over time. Tell us a little bit about what your role is like now. Yeah. So um, it does change a lot. When when you first start a church and it's a small congregation, you're doing everything. And then over time, you realize you're, you've got more going on than you can possibly handle and you're constantly handing things off. And so, you know, I, I tell people I have a handful of uh, responsibilities at the church today. One is to uh, remind people of who we are and why we exist. So it's sort of setting the DNA. And I don't do that by myself. Our staff, and our leaders do that, but really reminding them, here's why we started. Here's who we are. You know, our purpose statement is to build a Christian community where non-religious and nominally religious people are becoming deeply committed Christians. And so that drives everything that we do. But my job is in part to help re- people remember that because people sort of forget along the way, this is why we're here. And they sort of get, you know, focused on other things. Right. Um, I, you know, I'm, my job is to be the primary preacher. And so I am, I preach about 40 of the 52 weeks a year and to uh, do as good a job as I can at providing messages in which I pray that God will speak, that takes the scripture and ties it to daily life, that helps people feel inspired, encouraged, and equipped to live out their faith in the world, to help them grow deeper as followers of Christ. Um, so preaching is a big, big, important part of that. Part of it is, is uh, modeling for our congregation and our staff. You know, this is what the Christian life looks like, and I'm not perfect, and I fail in a million ways, and that's part of modeling, too, is the fact that we blow it and we fail sometimes, but, but to strive to be the real deal, to actually try to live this gospel that I'm preaching. Um, I'm a chief fundraiser for the congregation, so when it comes to capital campaigns and annual campaigns, um, you know, to model what generosity looks like and then to invite people to it. Um, it is to call people to... Um, live out as to call the congregation to live out their faith in the world. And so that involves and in, includes me living out my faith on a daily basis, striving to, you know, look to see where does the church, where does God need our church to be engaged and involved in the issues of our time, helping our world look more like the kingdom of God. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that captures a lot of what I'm doing. I, I spend, I tell people I have three jobs. One is pastor at church, of the resurrection. The second one is writing books. Um, I felt that a calling to be able to write for other churches and other, you know, people who aren't religious, but also people who are you know, deeply committed and they're, you know, growing in their faith. And so that's a, a part of my ministry is like one or two books a year uh, that I publish. And then part of it's being involved with our denomination and trying to, um, you know, we're in the midst of a time of conflict as a United Methodist Church. And so I've spent a lot of time uh, engaging in trying to help hold our denomination together. 
uh, having done some of that de- denominational work myself, uh, that can be a full-time job all, 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 all on its own. Um, yes. uh, I, I'm grateful for the work you're doing in there. I know it's kind of a mess, um, but uh, so thank God you're there. And, and I hope you'll continue with, with that if you're, if you're able. Yes, so, thank you. So, so this, this kind of leads out of, this next question maybe kind of leads out of this. Uh, uh, what's, well, no, actually it doesn't. Uh, what's, the, what's the most enjoyable part? I think I know the answer to this. What's the most enjoyable part of what you do? Well, what I really love is connecting with people. So I enjoy being with people. I enjoy walking with people through tragedy and difficulty and hardship. I enjoy uh, helping people, you know, discover their faith. That's probably the most rewarding thing I, you know, I get to do is when you have a chance to help people find people who had, for whatever reason, walked away from God or the church, and they come back and to help them, uh, help them discover that you could be a thinking person and a Christian that their perceptions of what Christianity is aren't necessarily true and, uh, and to find their lives transformed, you know, to find them having a new center in their life where it's suddenly they realize, Hey, it's not about me. And there really is a God who loves me <clears throat> and cares about me. Who's been made known to Jesus. And when they decide I want to follow him in my life and, you know, I want to follow Christ. And uh, so that to me is the greatest joy. I, when I meet somebody who you know comes to faith, I love that. I mean, it's just such a joy. And I see that happen all the time uh, at resurrection but I also enjoy those moments and this will tie into some later things we'll talk about, but when you're just paying attention every day and you find yourself in the middle of something God is doing those God conversations, God incidences, instead of coincidences where you find yourself uh, with somebody who needed a word, who needed care or love at that particular moment. I love those things. Mm -hmm. I enjoy preaching uh, when I feel like I've got a great message and it's something that I, I think God really wants me to share with the people. There's a joy in preaching, but I feel anxious about it every single week. Um, it's, I feel a burden for it. And I feel the weeks when I don't have to preach, I feel a relief, you know, from, from not uh, carrying the weight of that. And at the same time, when I, you know, when I step into the pulpit, I have such joy in being able to, I feel like it's a conversation I'm having with people sitting in the pews, uh, about faith and life and God. And, and I really enjoy that as well. Uh, I'm not surprised by that uh, at, at all. You're an, you're an outstanding <clears throat> preacher. I, I love I love watching you preach. We're we're doing a, a, a just one service this Sunday. It's July 3rd. It's a holiday weekend, yeah. so we we've got a big gigantic tent that we've been using uh, outdoors uh, throughout. Uh, we we got it last year for COVID, and everyone enjoyed it so much. We did a couple of special services. I'm just preaching one time this weekend. It's almost like I told Julie. I got I feel like I'm on half half a vacation, just having to worry about one <laughs> sermon, and one service, and and not, not all other stuff we do. Um, so. Going out of that, what's what's the least favorite? If you're willing to go here, what's the least yeah. favorite part of what you do? Well, uh, the part that I feel the greatest pain related to is just, you know, when people are mad and they leave the church, people mm-hmm. are, you know, it's conflict. And we have been living in, and I find this is true for most pastors. We're typically conflict averse. We like people. We like to be liked. We, you know, we, and, 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 and so you constantly have to be willing to overcome. If you're a pastor and you're going to say anything that's important or that God wants to say to the people, you're going to have, you have to overcome your desire to be liked to say things that are hard, but to say them in a way that people can hear them. Hmm. And uh, I, you know, when I get a note from you know somebody who's left the church after so many years, and they, um, you know, there's something I said, something that they, you know, were irritated or frustrated them or. The other day I got, uh, and, and it's, what's interesting. And so I know I'm speaking to the choir because you know, this exact experience, but, uh, in our times of hyperpolarization today, <clears throat> there is, you know, you say something and somebody gets disappointed because you're not where they are. And they also read into it an awful lot and they don't necessarily, may not have heard exactly what you were saying, but they've, they've attributed a lot of things to you. And, uh, 
And so the other day I told my assistant, I said, are you holding back the, the mean emails or letters? Cause I haven't gotten any for like a, a month. You know what, what's, what's up. And she said, well, no, just go check your desk today. You'll find some. So I got there and you know, in my, uh, in my mail, somebody had sent back, we gave away Bible pages uh, from a, from a 1532 Bible or something like that. You know, this is like 20 years ago in a capital campaign. If you made a pledge, we gave you this Bible as a way of, you know, recognizing that you were helping people hear God's word through, through scripture and our church. And, uh, and this person had sent it back and uh, had said uh, it was anonymous. So there was no, you know, and, and we, when we built our stained glass window, we gave away little pieces of the stained glass. And so, you know, they gave those back too. And that was just a couple of years ago. And, and um, the person wrote and said, you know, I just want you in you, you were a disgrace to the ministry. And, and, and I'm like, okay, what did I do that I'm a disgrace to the ministry for and get to the bottom? And it had to do with black lives matter and people, you know, and, um, and, and because we said black lives matter, then that was taken to mean we supported the black lives matter organization. So then I was a socialist. Then I was in favor of defund the police. None of which is true. I don't even, I don't know anybody in the black lives matter organization. I've never given money to it. I don't know. I don't follow them. But, you know, what I said was black lives do matter. And if they, if they matter to Jesus, they matter to our church. They matter to me personally. And we have to be able to say that because we live in a society where it doesn't feel like black lives matter all the time. And for many people uh, who are black, it doesn't feel like black lives matter. And so, you know, and you were in the same place. I mean, we were all having these same conversations. And um, and so, you know, I thought I thought about that. And, you know, I thought, you know, if I'm a disgrace for for standing up and saying that black lives matter. And then I'm going to be a disgrace. I'm okay with that. Um, and then, then I open, so I open that up and I set that aside and I get the next email or the next letter, a handwritten note from a woman. And she writes, and she said, um, I am, uh, I just, I, I won't even listen to you anymore. I can't stand to hear you preach anymore after you stood up for president Trump. And, uh, and this was after January 6th. And I'm like, wait, when did I stand up for president Trump after January 6th? I, you know, and, and in fact, we had people angry with me because I was calling him out. But this person heard my calling out in a way that I, I was trying to, say, you know, I was trying to say it in a way that people could hear it. And uh, and that turned into you were standing up for him and I can't listen to you preach anymore. And I thought, OK, on the one hand, I have somebody who thinks I'm a socialist and a flaming, you know, far left liberal. And on the other hand, I have somebody who thinks I'm a Trump supporter in the same batch of mail that came in the today. same batch of mail. Yeah. yeah. And neither true. one of them will listen to me anymore. So that, that is there true. are those are easy. You know, it's the harder ones where it's somebody, you know, somebody who you've known a long time and they're. They don't think you're preaching the gospel anymore or they're, you know, they're upset with something you said. And, and, you know, my goal is to try to learn from that, to listen and learn. And sometimes they're right, but sometimes they're not right, you know, and it's easy for people to get discouraged. And, and this is true, not only for pastors, it's true for lay people. You have people who criticize you, people who um, think poorly of you, uh, you know, and sometimes they may have some good thing you need to pay attention to, but sometimes they're just wrong. And to not be devastated by criticism. Because the you know, here's one of the things I tell people, if you're going to be a leader in any organization, in any movement, you got to be able to take criticism right. and to not give up. You have to be perseverant. Jesus was criticized constantly. They said he had demons. They said he, you know, they, they I mean, yeah, exactly. He was a drunkard. He was, you know, uh, all of these things. And yet he didn't give up, you know, right. and, and you think about all the apostles and, and really every great leader throughout history, there's always been people who, who despise them or who spoke evil against them. And Jesus said, you know, when people speak evil against you, you know, in my name, you know, rejoice and be glad they did this to the prophets too. And so anyway, there's, there's this balancing act of, um, 
this person may have something important to say. And I want to be humble enough to recognize I could be wrong. And I might've said this in a wrong way, or I might've done something in a way that, that, that I, you know, maybe I missed out the pastoral moment. And then at the same time to say, but you know, okay, I've evaluated that. I've tried to learn from that. And maybe I was right or where God wanted me to be or what God wanted me to do. And I'm not going to quit just because, you know, somebody or a group of somebody's have criticized me. Right. So that's my least, that's a long winded way of saying <laughs> the thing most of us don't like very much is, uh, is when, uh, when someone calls and says, you're a disgrace. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when I was in Atlanta post nine 11, um, about six months after the 9-11 attacks, uh, a family of the church uh, came to see, at least they came to see me um, to let me know they were leaving the church. And and it was because I wasn't preaching enough anti-Islam sermons, mm. um, which of course I refused to do. Um, but what, what was so uh, hurtful about it was we were really good friends. And yeah. we they had kids the exact same age as our as our two boys. They had a, they had a boy and a girl. Um, we had spent time in their home, there in ours. We we did all kinds of social things, fun together. And and it it you know it sometimes it could just be remarkably personal. That's the yes. and I know that's true for you too. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So let's let's debunk a myth of, about ministry. Is there a myth out there you'd love to debunk for our listeners? Wow, a myth I could debunk. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I'm not, I can't think of any of the myths that are out there right now. I know I should. Uh, you know, one thing that I think most people know is pastors are humans and uh, they have the same needs. They have the same, you know, they're, they're not, uh, they have the same temptations. They have the same struggles. Obviously our aim is to be walking the walk. You know, it's to, it, my goal is to, so this is what I, I, I tell folks. My goal is to be the, to be the pastor and the person my congregation actually believes I am. I want to live, and I heard that from somebody else, but I want to, I want to have lived this thing that I preach every week. Mm-hmm. And I, I often say, you know, there are many sermons that my best sermons are probably to me before they're to anyone else. And, and I will, many times I've stepped into the pulpit to preach something that I have not been living, but I'm never going to preach something I haven't been living. I'm never going to preach something I'm not going to commit to living after I preach that sermon. Mm-hmm. In other words, yeah. you know, there are times where maybe I wasn't serving as much as I could have been, or I wasn't doing, practicing the spiritual discipline, or I wasn't whatever it was. And, but if I'm going to preach it, I'm going to try to live it. And I don't live that perfectly, but that's my aim. And so, you know, sometimes people put preachers on a pedestal and, um, and the reality is that we're all human beings striving to follow Christ, striving to, you know, to understand God's will for our lives and to, and to live it. And then to, uh, share that with other people, but I don't know that. I think everybody already knows that. So I'm not sure that's much of a myth. What did no, you I say think, in response I, to that question? I, I think, I think that's a, I think that's a good reply that, 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 uh, you know, we're not perfect. And, yeah. and as, and as much as we want to be, you know, I, I, where was I, Julie and I were somewhere in a, in a restaurant and we were sitting at the bar, um, because the, the, there were no tables available. And somebody came out who saw me, who knew me from the church, came up and said, my preacher's at the bar. And they were just kind of teasing, but yeah. it was, a, it was a little bit of an edge to the tease too. You know, it's like, no, oh, yeah. we're just, we're just having a glass of wine and a burger and it's, it's really okay. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that, those are those, some of those myths. Uh, my buddy, John, well, let, Ross, me, let me, let me pick up on one thing for just a second. So. Uh, you reminded me of something. I think um, we want our pastors to be perfect and we also want their mates to be perfect and we want yes. their children to be perfect. You know, yes. so we want this. And uh, the other day, Levon and I were in, uh, in the airport and we had missed a flight and we were running to the next, uh, we, we had missed on purpose. It was a standby and they ended up having a canceled flight earlier and all these flights were being canceled. 
So we, you know, we uh, were standing there and, and there was one seat left on the plane. And I said, you take it. I'll get home after that. Please, please go do it. And so we were kind of arguing back and forth about this. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, and, and anyway, this couple comes up and goes, are you Pastor Adam? Hey, you know, we, we read your books in our Sunday school class. We, you know, we, we watch your videos and then <laughs> I don't know what state it was. And here, Levon and I are irritated with each other. We're, you know, and I, I put on my, pa- you know, my happy pastor, Hey, it's great to see you. Tell me where you're from, all this. And, yeah. and uh, I wanted Levon to come over and meet them. And, and she was like, she's over at the counter, you know, for the air, uh, for the air folks and, and trying to get the ticket worked out. And, and it was like, it was clear we were not in our best, happiest moments yes. <laughs> at the time. And, you know, you either come away from that going, gosh, you know, I really thought they were happy. You know, they were always happy all the time. It's like, well, most of the time we are, but you know what? It was really irritating. We'd missed two flights already. We, <laughs> we have normal so things like, too. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right, let's uh, let's this this uh, um, podcast series is called Faith Kit, and that's uh, the same title as my summer sermon series, Faith Kit, which is based on uh, inspired by rather the NPR uh, p- podcast um, uh, Life Kit. And so, what what I'm, we've been doing is uh, talking to pastors around the country about um, their quote faith hacks. Uh, you know what what life hacks, faith hacks have you found that have been useful for you at times when your faith was wobbly, when your faith was uncertain, or maybe you know kind of overwhelmed with doubts. I'm not assuming all that's true, but um, uh, you're you're a human being like the rest of us, and and uh, you know in those moments when you were weren't sure, what what are your hacks? What do you go to? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm reminded when it comes to doubt that, um, and I've shared this with our congregation many times, uh, Martin Luther once said, only God and certain madmen never have any doubts. So we're, yeah, you know, we, we all struggle with moments of doubt. And I think it's good for pastors to be able to say, you know, of course I have questions about stuff. You know, I think it's refreshing for their congregation though. Now you need to show that you've reassured, reaffirmed your faith, you know, but it's okay to talk about doubt. Um, but one of the things when I feel empty and dry, and the truth is, in fact, this Sunday I'm preaching about this. Uh, I've got a little paper cup and I'm going to talk about, we're doing what I'm calling a summer revival for the month of July, which is not something you hear much about in Methodist churches today, but we're going to, you know, I've got this paper cup and, and I'm going to fill it up with water and I'm going to poke a couple small holes in it. And, you know, we're going to watch the water drain out, you know, as it's, as it's there. And the reality is that's where, you know, that's what happens with our souls. Our souls, we fill them up, but they also, the, you know, our spiritual life and our love and our passion, all those things, they drain out, you know, that's just normal. We, they drain out by daily living and they drain out by questions we have and they drain out by hard things that happen in life. And so, you know, how do we revive ourselves? How do we fill that cup again? Cause we know it's going to, we can't seal it. It's going to drain, but how are we, you know, how are we refilling the cup? So there are times where every, every one of us feels empty spiritually. And for me, a couple of the things that I've found helpful, um, one is, um, well, you know, at Resurrection, we talk about, and I've written a book about this on, you know, five essential practices of the Christian life. So one of those, and each one has a component of a corporate component that we do with other people and, and an individual component. But the first one is worship and prayer. Of course, worship we do together, but prayer is essential for me. When I spend time in prayer, not just the pray before my meals, I pray five times a day, but those are just, you know, at least, but those are just very short prayers. When I actually so for me, taking a prayer walk is important. Hmm. So this morning I got up early and I went out and walked for about an hour. And during that prayer, that prayer walk, I, um, I pursue, I, I do kind of five things in the outline of my prayer. And I use my hand to capture this. The thumb captures the idea of, um, a praise. So I start, I carry a pocket testament with me and I, while I'm walking, I, I read Psalm 100 or some other Psalm of praise. And then, and then, you know, the second is Thanksgiving. And so I'm, you know, and we all have patterns like this. Some have the acts prayer, other prayers, but you know, for me, praise Thanksgiving. And so I intentionally go through and I, I start giving thanks to God for 
the cosmos, for my life, for the whatever I'm seeing around me, for my family and all that. Uh, the third finger represents confession. It just happens to be the middle finger, which makes it kind of easy to remember confession. And so, um, so I, yeah. so, you know, I, st- I stop and I, uh, you know, as I'm walking, I'm confessing, you know, whatever it is that was going on in my life or the ways I failed to live up to my, you know, the faith I have. Um, and, uh, and then the third one is praying for other people. And so I walk through the people I know who are in need of prayer and my family, my kids and my family. And, uh, and the last one is yielding myself to God. So the pinky represents me and it's just, here I am. I belong to you do with me, whatever you want. And I pray that prayer every morning. Even if I don't take an hour long prayer walk, I, I get down on my knees when I wake up in the morning and I just say, here I am, God, I belong to you. I thank you every, you know, our lives are a gift from you. And I offer my life back to you. Please help me to pay attention and use me uh, today. And then I have a host of other things I pray, but anyway, so prayer is one of those places that, that we all know, but it's just a critical piece of my reconnecting with God and not just a short prayer, but spending a little more time. I also uh, use the Lord's prayer in that. And so many of us know, we all, most of us listening to this podcast know the Lord's prayer by heart, but often we pray and we pray it in 30 seconds and we don't really stop to ponder what each one of those phrases means. And, you know, this is the only prayer that Jesus told us to pray. He, nowhere else does he say pray like this, but here he says this. So, you know, what I've found is if I take each phrase and I wrote a book about this last year, that's called the Lord's prayer. And I, um, and if I take each phrase and I really unpack it, I can spend 45 minutes an hour just with the Lord's prayer and unpacking each one of those phrases. And I find by the time I come back, my faith is deepened or I find my, I feel restored or I feel like I've, my cup has been filled up a little bit just by praying the Lord's prayer in that way. And so anyway, you know, that's, so it's worship and prayer. The second is, uh, is study and scripture reading. And so every day I begin my day reading scripture. Um, the third is, uh, is serving. And so looking at, you know, that's what we do together in the church, but it's also, and this is really important, I think for all of us, and you do this so well, but my prayer every morning is to pay attention to where God might need me at any particular moment or some opportunity for me to share. And I find when I pay attention almost every day, there's some moment where I run into somebody who looks like they need a word of encouragement or somebody who's distraught, who needs somebody to listen or somebody who needs 20 bucks or somebody, you know, whatever, but it's constantly paying attention saying, God, how do you need me? You know, how do you want to use me today? Or how can I be useful to you today? And, um, Anyway, the fourth one is uh, is giving and generosity, and so that's both what we do towards God, but it's it's living this life of generosity on a daily basis. How can I be more generous to other people? And when I'm when I when I'm generous to people, or when I'm helping people, or I stop and care for somebody, I always feel closer to God, even if I felt far away from God before that. You know, the other day this happened in the grocery store, and I'm at Hen House at 119th and and uh, and row. I know well, Kansas City, yeah. Yep. And uh, I'm walking through there. Lavon said, "Hey, can you pick up some stuff before you come home?" Which is always a mistake because I always get like twice as much as she wants me to get. But I'm walking through the grocery store and I'm in the green bean aisle. And this, this woman looks up and says, I can't believe it. And I said, what? She said, I was just praying, God, please give me a sign that you haven't forgotten me. And here my pastor walks down my, down the aisle. Oh, wow. And she said, I had been hoping that sometime I have it, might have a chance to talk to you. And, and you showed up. And so I, I just stopped and I realized this wasn't about green beans anymore. And I just said, tell me what's going on in your life. And she had a little child there in her, in her, uh, in her cart. And um, he had some developmental disabilities and she was talking about how hard her life had been. You know, and so we just sat there and and then at the end of, you know, 20 minutes in the, in the green bean aisle, I had a chance to just pray with her. I was sitting on an airplane, you know, coming home from New York uh, last week. 
And I, you know, I got bumped up to first class. I, you know, I was grateful that I, you know, that I got to sit up there. It was a little, little plane, but they brought a meal by, you know, and, and he said, which meal do you want? I said, I don't, you know, I said, I said, come to me after you gave everybody else their meals and whatever, whatever nobody wanted, I'll take that one. And so he brings it to me. And, and then uh, I stopped and I prayed before, you know, just quietly did my prayer before my meal. And a few minutes later, the woman sitting across the aisle, you know, starts talking to me and she's telling me, um, she's, she's telling me these problems she's having. And I'm like, this is interesting. You know, she's jumped right in and, and uh, she doesn't know I'm a pastor. I'm just a guy on the airplane, you know? And, and so then pretty soon, you know, she, what do you, what do you do? And I said, well, I write books, but I'm mostly a pastor. And I said, I, uh, and she, and she starts telling me how, you know, she didn't go to church, hadn't been to church in a long time. She bought her house from a, somebody who th- she thought cast a spell on it. And anyway, so we had this interesting conversation <laughs> and, uh, and by the time we were you know done with the conversation, she was like, you have no idea how much I needed this conversation. Oh, wow. Yeah. She said, I just, I, she said, I just so needed this conversation. And, and she said, I looked over and I saw you pray before you got your, I first heard you say you'd take whatever meal was left over. And I thought, well, that's really nice. And I saw you pray and I thought, well, he's a person of faith. Maybe I can talk to him. We got off the plane in Kansas city. And I said, would it be okay if I prayed with you? And I took her aside, you know, by the baggage carousel and just took her hands and, you know, prayed for all the things I'd heard her talk about that were hurting in her life. And, and when she was done, you know, she says, could I, could I please hug you? <laughs> I said, okay, you can hug me, you know, and, but there was this moment, you know, just pay attention I, as opposed to putting my earphones in and just reading my book, you know, right. on the way. Right. And can, anyway, that kind of stuff happens all the time when we pay attention. And the last thing is, um, is to share your faith. And I find, and that's not like if you were to die tonight, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you'd go to heaven and kind of sharing, but it's the willingness to, to name the fact that you're a person of faith or to demonstrate your faith or talk about your faith in some way, not pushy, not judgmental, just it's a rhythm. It's a part of your life. And, uh, and when I talk about my faith, I find my faith deepens and grows. So a lot longer answer than you were looking for, but those no, five things. Great. Find that's really great. Those, those God moments you described are, are just amazing. Uh, yeah. I, I, this is your podcast. So I won't, I won't take the time, but I had, I had a couple of those last summer, about a year ago right now, frankly. And it's just like, okay, Lord, I believe again. I mean, and I mean that seriously, yeah. not, not yeah. sarcastically that where, you know, yeah. we, we had struggled with a couple of things here and I wasn't sure about this or that and which direction we're going to go. And uh, some a couple of things just lined up, a couple of people lined up and, Wow, the spirit's alive. Um, That's right. I, I preached about it about about three or four months ago, and just just said, I want to tell you some things that happened to me last last summer. You might think it sounds kind of mysterious and strange and spooky or whatever, but I, I want you to know about this. And I, I think those yeah. things matter a lot. That's right, and it's not just to pastors that these things happen to. It's oh, to anybody. Absolutely. Who pays attention. Absolutely. I mean, I I think we we feel it and we see it more often, and it, it's a little easier because people know you're a pastor, maybe, but sometimes they don't even know that, and but. You telling the story, you know, and, and preaching about it, I think that opens the door for your congregation to go, maybe that could happen to me. Oh, and that that sermon, uh, you know, I don't get to greet people as much as I like in the earlier services, but the last sermon of the last day, I, I, I hang around as long as I can and touch as many people as I can. And I can't tell you the number of stories where people came up to me and said, can I share mine? Can I tell you about what happened to me? That's right. And it's like, it gives them, it, it's like, oh, I, I thought it was really weird and strange. And I was the only one. And, oh, no, 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 you're not the only one. Yeah. That, that, you named it a moment ago. The Holy Spirit is working in us and through us and around us. And, you know, I, I'm not one who believes that everything happens for a reason and God is pulling, you know, pushing buttons and pulling levers. But I do believe when we're paying attention, the Holy Spirit guides us. And somehow we find ourselves right in the middle of where we were needed at a particular moment. Uh, I agree. I agree completely. All right. Um, we've also been doing in these podcasts, a, a cold read of scripture. Now, now you, of all the friends I have out there in ministry, you probably know the Bible better than uh, all of my rest of my friends combined, but you, you, know it, you, you know, you know, you know it extremely well. Now I was a jet cadet for Jesus growing up. I've 
Commander Glenn Miles. I, I, I memorized more Bible verses than anyone else ever in the history of that church's uh, Jet Cadet program, which I'm, I'm quite proud of to this day. Um, you would have beat me, though, I'm sure, I'm sure of this. But let's do a cold read of, of, of it's Luke 10, um, yeah. the story of Jesus and, and uh, Mary and Martha. And we're not going to read the text, but it's just, I hope you looked at it briefly before we started. Yeah. And just as you read it, what, you know, I, I do this, Adam, on Mondays. I'll do a cold read of the text of what I'm preaching on the, on the following Sunday. And I just make, I take out my yellow pad and just write notes and just write questions. And uh, by Tuesday morning, when I read Fred Craddock or Amy Jill Levine or whoever else, uh, some of those things are obviously not part of what's going on, but it helps my brain uh, get going. I, I think yeah. you do something similar like that. So the exact same process. Well, let's, let's do it right now. Just what are some things that, here's the story. J Jesus has come to visit Mary and Martha, yeah. and Martha's a little perturbed that Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet while she's doing all, all the work. So go. Right. Well, so, you know, the tip, um, most of us come at it from the Martha perspective and, and we're recognizing that we're Martha, right? Martha's getting irritated because Mary's sitting there doing what's not what she's not supposed to do. Women didn't sit, sit at the feet of the masters mm -hmm. and listen to them. Mm -hmm. uh, that was her role. Her role was to, was to help. And so Jesus once more is blowing apart the, the gender roles that you find in the, in the first century with Mary being there. But, you know, Martha, you know, Martha is, Martha's you, <laughs> <laughs> Martha's me. You know, we're 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 drivers. We're we're going to get stuff done. We got a million things going on. We're worried about and we're anxious about all the stuff we got to get finished. Uh, we're making sure that everybody's going to have enough to eat. We want to, you know, we got to we got all these things going on in our lives, and uh, and so and and I I was reading a study about Type A's and Type B's, and and Type A's are typically the Marthas, right? We're we're typically the ones who know stuff has to get done. We feel hyper responsible for it. We're going to get in there and get to, you know, get to work. And we understand how hard it's going to be to feed 13 people who've come over as guests for a day. I mean, if you think about just having 13 guests show up at your doorstep one day, and of course, Martha was the one who invited them over, but, and then there's Mary, of course, and Mary's sitting there and she realizes this, this is Jesus in our house. Hmm. And the disciples, they're in our house. And, and, you know, maybe she has some sense that he's more than just mortal, that he's more than just a rabbi. Maybe she doesn't, but probably she's, she knows she hears God when, when Jesus speaks. Hmm. And so, you know, and I always picture Martha clanging the pots and pans as loud as possible, make as much of a ruckus until she <laughs> finally comes into Jesus and says, Jesus, come on, tell my sister to get back in here. And uh, anyway, when I think about Martha, I think, for for the people who are type A's in our congregations, um, we often are so busy trying to control things, trying to make things happen, trying to solve problems, trying to get things done, that we fail to hear and fail to stop and realize, you know, when Jesus is in our midst. And I, I think about, you know, I was reading something the other day about how many times in a day a person looks at their cell phone. Hmm. And I don't know about you, but, you know, Levon is constantly like, hey, could you put your cell phone down for a minute? You know, and I get those notices on how many hour, <clears throat> how many more hours this week I looked at my cell phone than last week. <clears throat> and, it, you know, I, I find myself. So the other day, you know, our granddaughter was here at the lake and uh, and, you know, we were playing. And then I find myself looking at my cell phone. I'm like, wait, she's only eight now. And we're here at the lake together and I'm going to be looking at my cell phone and put the stinking phone away. And uh, one of the, the you know, the restaurant, Nick and Jake's that's down on yeah. uh, 135th street in the yeah. South Oakland park area. Anyway, um, uh, Kevin Timmons owns Nick and Jake's. He goes to our church. He's a great guy. And Kevin noticed that when people are coming in to eat, like he runs a restaurant and it's not just about feeding people. It's about creating community. And he noticed that people are sitting in there on their cell phones while they're 
eating and they're not even talking to each other. They're on their cell phones. And so he came up with this basket, this little basket that he, he puts in, it has instructions, he lays it at the table. And it says, you know, this is for your cell phones to be able to put your cell phones down, to be able to enjoy each other's company and to break bread with each other. And to, you know, this is a rare opportunity you have to actually be with other people. And he just gently puts it down there and, and people read that. And all of a sudden they go, Oh, yeah. What am I doing? And they put their cell phones in there until they get ready to leave. That's a great and idea. I, I think so too. And I, I, when I think of Martha, I think of that, like we're so preoccupied. That's what Jesus says. You're so preoccupied, Martha, with, you know, with things that are important. And I don't think Jesus would have said anything to Martha were it not for the fact that Martha came in complaining about Mary. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus would have let Martha continue to do the Martha thing. Sure. But when she complained, Jesus had an, you know, an entree to say, Hey, you're missing out. And I think a lot of us who are type A's miss out on a lot of life because we um, were so busy doing all the urgent things that we miss out on hearing the spirit. We miss out on spending time with Jesus. We miss out on, on, you know, the moments in life. Um, uh, one, one last little thing I'll say about this is uh, when I prepared videos for my girls, when they graduated from high school, I went back over all the videotapes I had and I put together a video that captured their life. You know, and I'm just sobbing while I'm putting these videos together, you know, capturing their lives from the time they were born until they were 18. But one of the things I realized is how few of those videos I was in because mm. I was always manning the camera. I always needed to get the shot. Mm. And I think with our cell phones and our video, you know, our video and cameras on them, so often we're not in the moment, we're capturing the moment so we can go back and remember it later. And what Jesus is saying is, you know, hey, Martha, why don't you, why don't you live in the moment for, for a change instead of being so worried about all those other things? On the flip side, we need Martha. You know, we need to be Martha. So Mary needs to be a little more of Martha because, you know, Jesus talks about the greatest among you will be your servant. It's the person who's in, the, in preparing the meal while everybody else is not doing it. So Martha's already living one part of the gospel, but she's missing another piece of it. Anyway, that's a little bit of what I was thinking about. I'm sure it's, you know, you've preached it a hundred times and you, you have that and more, but how about you? What do you see in it? Well, that's, that's really good. Uh, I I like that. I I saw something while you were talking, I remembered, and I don't have this research at the, at the tip of my tongue, but a couple of years ago, I saw some research that said, if the phone is out, you don't even have to be looking at it. If the phone is out, you're out on a date with your wife, your spouse, whoever, if the phone is out and on the table, even turned upside down, it creates yep. anxiety. Yeah. Why is her phone out? Why does she have it out? What's who's she wanting to hear from? Why isn't she talking? And that and that and if uh. you have both phones out, it, it does it both ways. I I gotta find the the link to that, but it's a, it was a fascinating article about how cell phones have become so ubiquitous, we don't even realize that it amps up our anxiety. And and yeah. and I, I mean I get anxious if I'm not on my phone, you know, for an hour or two. I start to think, right. oh, what's what's blown up that I need to check on. But yeah. what the research shows, the more you can step away from it, the less anxious you feel uh, as an individual. Um, uh, that was a Valentine's Day sermon a few years ago that I, it was just a, it was just a great illustration to use. I, I love that. I was one of the things I was researching uh, when I preached on this text last. Uh, I think it's been a couple of years ago. But there was some cardiologists, Friedman and Rosamond, uh, found that many of their patients, and I'm reading from a little quote I had here, uh, found many of their patients were coming in for heart conditions, shared certain personality traits. Type A's tend to be competitive. They schedule too many things that they can, that too many things, uh, so they can't possibly get it all done in one day. They're constantly creating their own stress. They can be perfectionist, consequently easily irritated when others don't meet their expectations. And they tend to be ambitious, achie- uh, ambitious achievers. And if that's not Martha, you know, I don't know what is, but it's also 
It's also Glenn Miles. I was just going to say, I hope you, I, I was hoping that you weren't going to say Glenn. <laughs> I was like, those guys <laughs> followed me around. <laughs> exactly. And me and everybody else. And so, you know, again, when Jesus says, you know, you're anxious about so many things, only one thing is important. And I also looked at it and it might be worth, uh, as you're doing your sermon, but also your people listen to the podcast, do a little Google search and find out how many times in a day the average person looks at their cell phone. Hmm. And uh, it'll be interesting. I looked at it a couple of years ago, but it'll be interesting to see what it is today. And like you said, we feel anxious if we don't have our phone, if we don't have cell phone coverage. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I, what, one, of, one of the guys on this on this call, oops, you froze up. Are you back? Oh, there, there we are. are. Um, one of the guys on one of these podcasts, uh, my buddy, John Ross up in, in uh, Minnesota, he talks about going to the boundary waters uh, mm-hmm. once a year for at least a week, sometimes two or three and no cell contact, no, no human beings, nothing. And he said the first night he can't sleep and he has a panic attack. But by the next day, he's like, he's back inside himself. And that's really what you're talking about. I, I, I got to tell you this real quick on, uh, and my listeners will not be surprised. Um, I was playing a church league basketball game. I got irritated with the ref and I kind of came off the, the court. It was a church league game, of course. So yeah, here's Pastor Glenn out there getting irritated <laughs> with the ref. I come off the court and I kind of kicked the chair and, and our, 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 uh, our son, Nate, who was about four or five at the time, looked at Julie and said, what's wrong with daddy? And Julie said, he's a hyper competitive jerk. <laughs> so the the entire week after that game, I heard Stephen walk around going, "Daddy's a hyper competitive jerk." Daddy's a <laughs> so yes, um, I understand the uh, the concerns raised. So I, I'll, I'll consider that my confession to you, my pastor friend. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's go. Let's go a little bit more lighthearted, or you can go serious if you want to. What what are three books, uh, two or three books that you'd love to recommend to our our listeners? Well, you know, and I mentioned this to you before we got on the call. The uh, I am at the lake and I'd have to go back to my house to look at the books I've read at my bedside to be able to recommend any of them. And right now at 58, almost 58, I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. So um, one book that I will recommend self-serving, but is I encourage people to take a look at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, It's this book that I wrote last year that will, I think, uh, and I hear that I've gotten notes from people across the country just saying this book revolutionized how I pray that prayer and it changed my prayer life. And I think that might be, as you're talking about what are our life hacks, that might be a really, uh, might be one that people would enjoy. Another little one that I give away a lot is a book called Why uh, Making mm-hmm. Sense of God's mm-hmm. Will. And it's about suffering and, and hardship. And what I find is we all walk through something during the year where we find it leads us to question our faith. And the book helps people think about, okay, wait, how is God at work in the world? And is God really causing all of these terrible things to happen? Um, and if not, then how, how is God at work in the world? So anyway, those might be a couple, but those are, you know, those are ones I've written. They're not the really great books that you're looking for. And I'm sorry, I can't think of any oh, no, of those right now that are on my book stand. Those are, those are great. I'm preaching on the Lord's prayer at the end of July. And, and I'm going to go back to your book, which I read uh, right after I got it. Um, and then why I gave why uh, your book why to uh, Mary Kate Buchanan she's our a minister of congregational care uh, mm-hmm. and and she's really uh, she's fresh out of seminary been out of seminary about two years and doing great work and love that book it was a helpful one for for mm-hmm. her all right what about movies uh, what what's three movies you'd you'd recommend for our okay our- I'm trying to find my, I did have to make a list of these like uh, books I can't remember what I saw the last movie I saw even though I see movies all the time, we love to go see movies, but I just, the beautiful thing about starting to lose your memory is you can see a movie and then a year later you can see it again. It's like, it's all fresh and new. It's wonderful. But I was thinking about some movies that were meaningful to me or inspirational to me. And so here's four 
movies you'd find on Netflix. Uh, one is an old movie, and I haven't seen it in quite a while, but To Sir With Love with Sidney Poitier. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he was a Great teacher, movie. and it was. And every time I hear that song on, on uh, oldies radio, it goes back to how I felt when I watched that movie, To Sir With Love. And, and it, it may be grossly outdated today. I'm sure it is because it came out in the like early 70s, I think, or late 60s. But anyway, um, uh, A River Runs Through It. Oh, uh, Norman McLean's based on Norman, Norman McLean's uh, novella. If on you've my not top seen 10 it, list. Yeah. yeah. Most people have seen it. I just, I really love that movie. Great movie. Um, Places in the Heart. Do you remember mm-hmm. that movie with Sally oh, Field? I, I use it in a sermon illustration at least once a year. Yeah, exactly. That scene at the end where the communion. Yes. yes. Oh gosh. And, uh, and so I, I won't ruin it for your viewers, but you have a, no- a number of younger viewers who would not have been born when that show was, when that movie came out, but it's worth watching. And uh, you get to the end of it and you just, I'm sitting there crying during the credits and you, you don't want to, you don't want to miss that. Um, and Schindler's list uh, was mm. another one we were talking about the other mm. night here. And uh, a lot of people know it's a good movie, but they don't watch it because it's not a date movie really. And, uh, but it's, you know, I look for movies where, where you see, you know, that, I mean, every great movie is, is a God, there's gospels in the gospels in every great movie. We do a ser- sermon series. You'd probably do this as well. The gospel and film, uh, you know, every other summer. And uh, in Schindler's List, you find Schindler, this is, of course, set during the Holocaust, and you find Schindler as a, uh, I mean, he's, he's not necessarily a heroic figure. He's just a human being who decides to do what's human and right, you know, and trying to save people from death in the Holocaust. And, and uh, I find it just an interesting study in uh, humanity and mm-hmm. both the brokenness and, and people who become heroes at the right, you know, because in the right place, in the right time, they actually you know, spoke up and did something uh, courageous to save others. And so anyway, a lot of, a lot of films like that, that I find interesting. Oh, that's, that's a great list. I, uh, true confession. I'd never watched Schindler's list beginning to end until the pandemic. Mm. I was flipping channels one night, couldn't find something, went on a Netflix or one of those and did a search and Schindler's List popped up and went, oh, you know, I've never watched it. And I watched the whole thing finally. And it was only just like uh, either summer of 20 or summer of 21. It's a yep. great and you've been movie. to the Holy Land before. I don't know if you've been to his, his grave, but there's a cemetery there in Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. I've been there. Where you can, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very powerful. Very yeah, it's powerful. powerful. Powerful for sure. All right. So um, all, all my uh, all my guests, my guests get the last word. Um, what's what's one thing you want to leave our, our listeners with as we end the the podcast. You know, I would encourage people. So we've talked about prayer and, and we've talked about Martha. I would encourage people to, uh, <laughs> I got a boat going by somebody's, uh, blaring their music. Um, I would encourage, first of all, when it comes to our Martha, that we all have an inner Mary and we all have an inner Martha and to feed our inner Mary and mm. to be able to check our inner Martha just a bit to be able to say, Hey, some things, and whether it's, whether it's when Jesus, you know, spending time with Jesus or spending time with our grandkids or our mate or someone else, but to live in the moment um, a bit more. And Mm -hmm. that's something I'm trying to do. And it's so hard for me. I find I've always got five dozen plates spinning in my head and, and consequently I'm never fully in the moment and I'm trying to do more of that. And uh, you and I and our spouses are going to be traveling this fall on a trip together. And I really want to live in the moment on that and not be caught up in, all the plates that are spinning in my head. And the other is uh, to spend more time in prayer. And uh, just a really simple thing. I, I invite people. So I share with our congregation, 
pray five times a day. And I started praying five times a day after I was preaching a series of sermons years ago on different religions in the world. And I found out the Muslims prayed five times a day. And I'm like, I'm not going to let the Muslims show me up on prayer. I'm going to pray at least five times too. So speaking so, of competitive, exactly, I'm hyper competitive and, and a jerk sometimes too. And so, uh, so I started again, I use my hand. It's really simple. You know, five times a day, I'm going to pray. And so I've taught this to our congregation and, uh, and the most basic form of prayer is just two words. It's thank you. Mm-hmm. It's just the simplest. So, you know, when I tell people pray five times a day, like I don't have time to pray five times a day. Like how long does it take you to say thank you? Oh, okay. There's one. So, so, you know, when you wake up in the morning, uh, slip to your knees, if your knees are good enough and just say, thank you. And before you eat breakfast, say thank you. And before you eat lunch, you say thank you. Before you eat dinner, you say thank you. And before you go to bed at night, you say thank you. Now that's the starting point. And that, all of that takes a total of about 20 seconds of your day. But there's something happens when you create this, you know, when you are creating space for giving thanks to God. And then you begin to figure out, hey, there's more to prayer than just giving thanks. And so you start adding to that. But if you can start with that pattern of, of five times a day, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. And I'm going to give thanks to God because my life is a gift from God. And this, cause, this, this entire planet, the air that I breathe is a gift from God. And, uh, and the sun that, that warms our earth and this entire cosmos, it's all a gift from God. And if I live like that, if I remember that every day and I live like that, I find I live happier, more fulfilled, more humble because I recognize it's all a gift. I, um, you know, I find the, the cares and the troubles seem less, less severe maybe when I'm giving thanks for all the good things in my life. And so anyway, that'd be one, one uh, little word I'd offer is be more like Mary than Martha and uh, be in the moment and try praying five times a day, even if it's just a simple prayer. Thank you. It's a great word for the final word, Adam. It's been great to talk to you. Uh, Julie says hi. Tell tell Levon I said hi as well. We're looking forward to uh, being with you in in October. And I can guarantee you uh, that Julie Miles and Levon Hamilton will make both of us be in the moment. I'm not worried about that at all. (laughs) They will be the embodiment of the Holy Spirit saying, put your phones down, guys. Pay attention. Let's talk. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, Glenn, I want to say this to you, how much I appreciate both your friendship. I mean, your friendship means an awful lot to me, but how much I appreciate your heart and your ministry and your love for God and your love for people. And I see that in you. And I just am really proud to call you my friend and grateful to be on your podcast today. It's awesome, Adam, to have you with us. And I'll look forward to talking to you again. Be well, friends. God bless. Bye. Thank you for being with us in this episode of Faith Kit. Join us next week for another enlightening conversation.